but every organization has a culture and, and you have two choices. You can accept the culture that's going to exist and every organization has one and hope it's a good one or you can take control of that and create an, a, a culture of choice. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. I got a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about today, and I'm glad to get you here. And I know you got a lot on your plate with everything going on in the American Fire Service in America in general. So uh, I'll jump right into it. Go ahead and introduce yourself for anybody who may not know, and give it give us your quick 30 second intro. All right. Uh, my name is Scott Thompson. I'm currently the fire chief in the colony, Texas. We're a suburb just north of Dallas. We're surrounded by Frisco, Plano, uh, Louisville, Carrollton here in, in Denton County. Um, I've been in the fire service. I, I graduated from my first academy in October of 1981. I started my career uh, in Plano, Texas in um January of 1986. I've jumped around a little bit. I, I worked in Plano for many years. I went from there to uh, Arlington, Texas to be their first or one and only outside training chief. Never wanted to be a fire chief, but I had the opportunity to go to Athens, Texas, very small town, came back to the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex uh, as the chief of Lake Cities, went to work for Rick Lasky as his training chief for 10 years and then uh, retired from Louisville and took the colony job. And I've been in the colony for 11 years. I got two boys on the job. One of them is uh, in Dallas and one of them is in Arlington, Texas. So you're up to date. There it is. So legacy. Um, I wanted to ask you, because I didn't know this the first time I met you, that you were Rick Lasky's training chief. Uh, is, he, is he a mentor, basically, of yours, or would you say a peer? Oh, absolutely. Uh, he's a friend, number one. A role model, and yes, a mentor. One of the, one of the the great um, uh, experiences that I've had is prior to going to work from Rick, I had very much of a Texas and a West Coast operational influence, and going to work for Rick as his training training chief forced me to really relearn the fire service. Uh, I was 27 years in or so, and I really had to relearn a lot of things because he does a lot of stuff uh east coast and okay. so um i had to really really uh hit the books and and ask questions so so that was a great um experience for me and, and yeah rick has mentored me in a lot of ways he's a tremendous leader he's a huge supporter of training and, and i just got to tell a quick story i was sitting there my first day on the job and I said, hey, boss, you know, I, I don't know how you do things. And he told me something that I always remembered. He says, listen, as long as you take care of the guys, we'll figure the rest out. And so that's what we did. And, and we had 11 years together. And uh, 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 Louisville is a, a very well-respected department. And so it was a great time. That's some powerful advice, too. And it really gets to the German at <laughs> all. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's awesome. No, his book uh, was one of the books that kind of changed the trajectory of my fire service career from being just kind of just just kind of there to being checked in and plugged in and and, and excited. So uh, and you know what he lives he lives everything he writes. I mean, what you read about Rick is is the way he is. He he's he's the, the full deal. And and you know a lot of times you'll meet people and and they're one way to how they present themselves maybe in a in a public area, but. But what you read in his books is is what he is. What he he lives it every awesome. day. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. All right, I'm going to jump right into this book, which I I, I don't know if you can right. see all my 
my notes and things. And if you look at it, it's highlighted up with the the tips for success. I almost emailed you and asked if you had this in like a printable format. The tips for success managing the chosen culture because it's broken up on two pages and I couldn't just photocopy it. Mm-hmm. So instead, I went and typed it out for myself and and it hangs on my locker now. That's how much those tips for that that really hit home with me. And I try to read it every day and apply it every day. Now the success of that we'll see, but. Um, this healthy culture versus a neglected culture list. I've had so many people, uh, I say, just read that and see which side of the list you fall on. And that will tell you a lot about whether what you're doing is on purpose or if you're just accidentally falling into what you got. And uh, so this chapter to me is, is, like I said, if you can see all of the sheer amount of highlights. <laughs> so uh, that chapter, don't neglect the culture, to me is uh, – A, I read it and go, is it really that simple? And if it is, how come so many people swing and miss? Well, you know, first of all, I don't think people understand the full influence of culture. And it took me a while to learn it. Um, I finally became a huge student of occupational or organizational culture, excuse me, and occupational culture, so the American Fire Service. But, But I think a lot of people discount the influence of culture because you really can't see it. It's kind of hard to measure. And it's one of those things, you know, kind of like morale and all those, we, we just, we just put it aside, but every organization has a culture and, and you have two choices. You can accept the culture that's going to exist and every organization has one and hope it's a good one, or you can take control of that and create an, a, a culture of choice. When I came into the colony fire department, I made that decision uh, to commit to a, a chosen culture, and, and I could spend hours and hours and hours telling you how that's paid dividends oh, yeah. uh, doing that. So, I, I mean, I, I think, number one, to answer your question, people just really don't believe in it. I've had chiefs tell me, oh, the culture's a lot of hocus-pocus. And my next question is, well, how's your turnover? You know, tell me what your organization <laughs> looks like. And it's pretty obvious. But it is, without a doubt, the most influential thing in our organization and, and you can see in the book one of my top three things to do every day. Uh, one of those is manage the culture daily, and I believe it's that important. Um, so to me, it's, it's essential to success. Now, it's the difference between being good and being great. A lot of fire departments um, just go with the culture that's in place, and, and they get by, and they're okay. But I can tell you they're not hitting on all cylinders. They're not reaching their maximum potential and uh, providing the environment for the men and women in the organization to really thrive. When you were in Stillwater this or earlier, or 2019, and you told the story, mm-hmm. and I wanted to touch base with you on this, because you, uh, uh, you were doing your spiel, and you told the story about you went into a fire station and there was something that was off, and you couldn't quite put your finger on it, and then so you pulled a, you pulled a senior guy to the side and said, hey, what's going on? And he told you, you know, hey, chief, you know, that uh, before you, you could uh, that to me speaks volumes for how connected a fire chief can be to go into a station and feel like there's something off. So uh, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I mean, we did something called the Colony Project, which really gave us tremendous insight into our organization. And we looked at our people. We looked at the formal things that influence the organization, policy, procedures, laws and regulations, the informal things which is culture, uh, and then threats, and then uh, opportunities and ideas. 
and we did the same thing on the fire ground. You know, we had the May Day on August 20th. We were able to break that operation down because it was all objective-based and really look at what went right and what went wrong. Well, the same thing. We do the same thing with the culture. We understand the organization uh, and, and the personality of the organization to such a degree because we broke it down and built it back that, that just like when we go on a fire, we could say, hmm, we can do better. That didn't go the way it should. Um, the same thing is with our day-to-day in, in, in the organization, and it's very easy. We only have four stations. We're not a big organization. We have 80 members. Uh, but to go in and, and, and know when things, um, and maybe a little exaggerated, maybe not day-to-day, but certainly week-to-week, um, when the climate, the morale, and um, when I sense that, the first thing I do is I ask, you know, I ask myself, man, what kind of bonehead thing did I do? You know, did I, did I, did right. I you know, did somebody perceive something? And, and when I, I've gone to my senior guy a couple of times, I said, listen, I can't figure it out. Something's up. And they'll say something like, hey, chief, you know that memo you sent out two weeks ago? Man, you know, that, that had a tone of mistrust. And I'm a big believer in two-way trust. I think that's something we got to fix uh, in the fire service, you know, where we're, administration trust operations and operations trust administration oh, yeah and, and they'll just say hey hey chief you know it may it may not have been intentional but your tone was like you don't trust us or or we're better than that chief and you should know that and and, and man you know that's 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 what i need to hear and, and so um i don't give up until i figure out what's going on and uh, in the last 11 years, you know, many, 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 many times I've had to sit back and close the door and really, you know, start with a clean and say, okay, what's going on here? And then once we can identify, that's very easy to fix. Um, okay. But sometimes it's a little uncomfortable. You know, you, you, you sometimes you, you hear something maybe you don't want to hear. Sure. Um, but if you don't address it, those little things become institutional problems, you know, Morale issues always grow bigger and bigger and bigger, and pretty soon they can have a negative impact on the culture. So if as a fire chief, I want this chosen culture. I want to create an environment that the men and women of the Colony Fire Department can be successful and survive in and thrive. Um, I've got a, it, it, you know, it's like an old four barrel carburetor. You're constantly, it's either too rich or too lean. You want to get it just right. And, and so uh, I believe that fire chiefs need to understand their organizations to that level. And uh, if you do, you can prevent things. From, you know, I know I can name several fire departments, you know, that used to be up here. They were the place that everybody wanted to go. And a year or two later, now they're the place that everybody's leaving. And I can guarantee you there were always signs and symptoms that existed where if the fire chief, the ops chief, battalion chief, or company officer knew what to look for, uh, they would, would stop that negative or, or, or uh, direction and, and start taking action to correct the problem and, and get the organization uh, back on fast That's forward. Right. Nice. Right. Now, a question I have for you, because you are very deliberate about your culture and you are very active in being involved in it. And so one question I have, because I know this is a problem uh, or, or an obstacle for chiefs or uh, people in charge, is you put so much effort and care and work into it, and then you mess up a little bit or put out a memo that doesn't quite ring of trust and it feels like you took 10 steps backwards. 
You know, it's like the the punishment is way worse than all the effort that's put in. Um, is that something you just have to uh, accept, or yeah, is, yeah, is the trust bank yeah, build? Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it does every day, and uh, it takes a while to get there, and you got to be patient. And, and one of my to sidestep a little bit, but one of my greatest frustrations that I have today is I still have a few members who who probably uh, don't trust me. Um, to the degree that the rest of the organization does. And I've, I've had conversations with those people and I said, Hey, you know, what have I ever done to betray your trust? What reason have I ever given you? And they're, you know, Oh, nothing chief, you know, it's just firemen being firemen. So I, I think now uh, 11 years into this, the organization as a whole uh, has enough trust and it goes both ways. Uh, the same as if one of our guys does something, uh, that, that we get some buys, you know, the, the, the respect you earn on your good days is going to determine the forgiveness you get on your bad days. <laughs> right. and, and so, um, but it also depends on the severity, you know, was it intentional? Uh, was it, was it meant to be uh, uh, mean or, or deceptive? That's one thing. If it was an accident, yeah, we get past that pretty quick and move on, but we got to learn from it. You know, you can say sorry, and that carries a lot of weight, but that can't always be your default. You know, eventually, if you're saying sorry all the time, or I messed up all the time, then you got to have a look in the mirror and figure out, uh, you know, because of my deep voice, I'm, I come across as very intimidating. Um, and I, I think that sometimes causes me problems. I like to think out loud. I like to sit at the firehouse table and, and just talk about the future. But I've got to remember that if the fire chief says it, a lot of times that's perceived as that's what's going to happen. And so I, I got to kind of manage that. But, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's things. Most of the time I'm disappointed in myself, and I'll say, hey, you know, I, I, I know better than that. And, and two-way trust is, is like the culture. you gotta, you got to tend to that every day if you truly want to have it. And, and you gotta, you got to nurture that. And you can never take the culture or trust for granted. Granted. <clears throat> That's powerful, man. I love, like I said, that is my favorite chapter that uh, I've got my second read through. My first read through, I just read it. My second read through, I go through with my highlighters. Then I go through with notes. And uh, so I'm going through with highlighters now. And um, phenomenal. I cannot say enough about the book. When I first got it, I was like, man, this isn't very big. You know, I'm used to the big fire engineering textbook. Yeah. But it is yeah. so meaty. And then I heard that it was deliberate that you could put it in your bag. You made it this size on purpose. So anyway, I'll quit. Uh, uh, no, the I, w- I wish book. I could have. You know, one of the things Rick George and his gang were able to do is make theirs a little cheaper. I had no no say on the price. And right now it's priced a little bit out of what I think a lot of firefighters can afford. And I, I wish I had some way to remedy that. But probably as it goes on, I'm sure the price will come down a little bit. And I sell it on my website, for try to sell it for a little cheaper. Um, but that, that's that's one of the things I would like to maybe fix someday. Gotcha. No, nah, but it's very quality as far as the put together. Oh, thank you. It's not. It's not. It is a nice. Uh, I'm not a print expert by any stretch, but it's got weight. <laughs> Neither it's got am some I. Weight to it. <laughs> um, well, thank um, you. We're moving on to the uh, value of standards, um, mm-hmm. and you got preparedness standards, performance standards, operation standards, and leadership standards that you list and talk about. When most people have trouble defining standards, you got them broken down into four. Um, so talk about standards for a minute, their importance to you and the importance to the, to the functional fire company. 
Well, the first thing you got to understand is, and I've heard firefighters say this time and time again, let's say they have five stations and run three shifts. They'll say, man, we got 15 different ways of doing things. Well, that right away tells me they don't have any standards. And if you don't have standards, I don't know what you train to. I don't know what you use as a leadership guideline, all those things I mentioned in preparedness standards. And these things about standards is they can be recognized, they can be defined, they can be measured, they can be improved, they can be demonstrated. So if you remove all that, if you just have practices, principles, right. well, they're always going to be different. So uh, one of the only ways that you can achieve a chosen culture is to have standards. And so one of our biggest standards is preparedness standards. And like I said, you could probably call anybody in the Colony Fire Department today and say, what is the most important thing uh, to you today? And they're going to probably say to be mentally, physically, mechanically, and procedurally prepared. It all's got to start there. So, so, so you know, that's, that's one standard. Then we have a lot of performance standards. Everything from our inch and three-quarter lines to two and a half to being IRIT ready, uh, our zero impact period, setting a tower ladder, all those things um, we're actually defining, and, and we come up with a, a time uh, that we all strive for. Now, what that does is it gives shift commanders and company officers something to train to, to evaluate how their company is doing in relation to the big picture. If they get a new member in the company, that's what they can use to, to train by and say, hey, this is the goal. And what it does, it unites the organization. Uh, but I think what we do a lot of times in the fire service, you know, the fire chief will say, hey, I'm at 30,000 feet, and go to the ops chief and say, hey, you're the ops chief. Figure out how we're going to do stuff. And right. the ops chief is like, man, i got to build stations and buy fire trucks and hire and fire. Then he goes to the shift commander and says, hey, you guys figure it out. And then the shift commander wants to be a servant leader and wants to empower his company officer. He goes, hey, you guys do it the way you want to do it. And then pretty soon, we have as many different ways to operationally approach something as we do decision makers. And to me, when we do that, survivability then depends on what shift is on duty, the experience of the company officer, right on down the line. So, you know, uh, people will say, well, every fire is different. Well, every flight is different. The age of the aircraft, the weather, the experience of the pilot. And they're one of the most checklist, standard-driven industries that I know about. And, and so, you know, I want standards because I want predictability and uniformity. I want to know that the person that lives in Station 5's district or with Truck 5 and Truck 1 are going to have the same chance of surviving, whether it's a medical call, a pin-in in a car accident, or a structure fire, regardless who's on duty and who gets there. And the only way that I know to do that is through standards. So we have preparedness standards, then we have our, our performance standards, so being prepared mentally, physically, mechanically, procedurally, performance standards, be able to do this in this much time, um, our operational standards, all our fire operations are objective-based. And so we either achieve the objective or we don't. If we don't achieve it, we have two choices. We either train differently or we modify the objective. There we go. So our operations are constantly in revision. And then leadership standards is I want anybody, certainly who is a formal leader, 
but everybody in the organization has some level of of influence. I mean, that's what leadership is, is influence. If you're a good leader, it's a positive influence if you're negative. So, I mean, I want them to understand their vision of success based on their level of the organization. I want them to understand the organization's core values and their personal core values because that's that's part of how they lead. Um, I want continuity in their leadership and their operational philosophy so they're not sending different messages every day. And then, and then finally, um, I, I want the leaders to have their priorities straight so that no matter where you're working, if you're a firefighter working overtime or a, a captain that gets swung, we all understand what the priorities are, and we can all, as an organization, go out and focus on the mission uh, with those core values and deliver a standard level. And that's why it becomes important is, is our citizens – uh, I believe deserve the same chance of surviving no matter where they are in our now if a company's out of pocket and on another call those are all things that we can't deal with but if everybody's in the house uh, and I'm an 80 year old lady I should have the same chance of surviving no matter who's on duty what shift is on or where I live absolutely dude I love it I love it that explains uh, standards in a nutshell uh, yeah. Oh man. Uh, questions. Um, well, uh, Fire Medic Barlow asked if he could ask questions. Absolutely, Fire Medic Barlow. If you have a question, type it up here. We will get to it if if able. Um, so feel free to type it up. But um, back to standards. Uh, only mm-hmm. way to like. I love the way you you lead off you, uh, both presentations. I believe you said what is success. You know how how do you define success, Peppa? Sorry, my wife brought home my wife brought home a stray, and uh, she's still Uh-oh. fitting in. So she likes to make a little noise. Well, good but, for uh, you. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, defining success and what does success look like, and without those standards, how can you even define it? And and I love 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 that. Um, so moving on from standards to culture, the American Fire Service organizational sub and micro, and I have okay. some questions about. Uh, well, go ahead and and talk about the culture. And we've touched on it somewhat, but I like the way you you start at the the macro and mm-hmm. just come on and come on in like a magnifying glass. So, and I guess it. the best the best way to think about culture it's how things get done. Okay, so we have those guidelines and procedures and policies, but we have a lot of routines and rituals and just the unwritten rules of kind of things how things get done. So so, so think of culture in that term. Well, there's there's a macro culture, which is which is occupational culture, which is the American Fire Service and all our organizations, rather it be the uh, speaking trumpets on our collar, the collar insignia, our rank structure. Uh, you know, if we have bells on our rig, some of our terminology, those are all things that that we adopt or we 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 make part of our organizational culture. Now, the organizational culture is what sets departments apart. That's what makes, you know, more Oklahoma a little different from the colony, Texas. Sure. And then under that, we have subcultures. Now, this is kind of where it's important. I mean, supervisors have a subculture. Senior men, men and women have a subculture. How, how to take care of business, how, how to do things, the routines, like I said, the rituals, the, the things that we do. So that's the next level. And uh, that, that can be a... Uh, a shift, a battalion, uh, supervisors, battalion chiefs have a subculture, 
company officers have a subculture, and then we get into to the microcultures, uh, the firehouse, uh, the engine company, the truck company. You know, if you've ever watched uh, an episode of Chicago Fire, and I know this is reality even in Chicago, but the squad has a squad table right. out in the bay. Right. You know, that that's part of that 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 microculture uh, that that you know of of that firehouse, and and so. Those things. Now, the reason why it's important to understand those, because if you understand the different levels of culture, then you understand what influence you have on culture. If I'm a senior man in a firehouse, okay, I have a lot of influence on the microculture and to a degree the subculture. I may not have a lot of input on the organizational culture. That may be a little bigger than me, sure. but I can certainly influence. And if I have this chosen, this vision of success, and I want a certain chosen culture in my truck company or engine company or rescue or squad company or in my firehouse, I understand that I can do that and I can influence. So everybody in the organization influences the culture and the culture influences everybody in the organization. It just kind of depends. You know, I say I'm a firefighter with fire chief's responsibilities. So I have a lot of influence on the organizational culture, right? My vision, my values are going to be. But going down to the firehouse, I mean, a strong leader, a captain can have that. So that's why it's important to understand that. So you can have a chosen culture in a firehouse or you can accept the culture that exists and hope it's a good one. The accidental culture. The, the acci uh, exactly, the accidental culture. Uh, what has been your biggest challenge? Uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Like uh, basically personality, someone who does not want to, doesn't like the change, doesn't like the direction. Um, how, how do you tell someone to deal with something like that? Uh, well, tips and tricks from Chief we, we got about we got about we got about nine guys in our organization that that could probably care less if I leave tomorrow. They probably trust me, but they don't really like me um, because they don't like change. You know, these are the ones who just don't like any authority in their life, and they want to want to do whatever they want to do. Um, so, I mean, in the early days, I had to sell the culture basically one person at a time. And I would, I would try to appeal to those strong leaders, those ones that have a greater influence. And I would spend a lot of time selling the culture. I can't tell it. I'd have to explain uh, why it's going on and, and how it impacts the big picture of what we want to be and what their individual influence is. So the more of those people that I kind of get on board, and then they've got to understand it. I can't take any shortcuts. Right. And they'll start – They'll start being an advocate for the process. They'll start selling the message. And then as we start to implement change, and everybody's got to have change. I, I kind of call it transitioning. You know, the Colony Fire Department could not survive it was if it was the same department 11 years ago as it is today. And we all have change in our lives, you know, uh, family stuff. So once the organization starts to see that the change is paying off or that the change work. I remember one of the first biggest changes I made was when we went from the Quint concept to the engine and truck deployment model. Well, right. everybody said, hey, man, that only works in New York City or Chicago. We're too small. Well, we trained on it. We learned it. I constantly had a consistent message of why we're doing it and what it should look like. And by golly, once fire started going good, 
They were kind of like, all right, th this is working. And, and you couldn't pay somebody today in our organization to go back and, and, and go back to that way of doing things because they've seen how it works. And that, that's for everything. Now, if, if things are going bad, the chief has to have uh, 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 such a, a, a position and say, okay, this didn't work. This isn't working. If I stick with a bad thing, just because my ego doesn't want to allow right. me to say I was wrong, then then that's what you said before. Now you've lost a whole lot of momentum, and the next change, the troops are going to be much more um, skeptical of because they're there. So on the front end, i got to do a lot of homework. I've got to really, really listen and, and throw some uh, some 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 information and see what kind of feedback I get. But for the guys who just don't buy in, uh, you know, I've called them in my office, and I, everything I do is on my whiteboard in my office. And at the top it says, start with the end in mind and why, if not this, what? And I'll, I'll tell them, I've had this conversation, I'll say, there's two things I can't control, how much money you make and the number of fires we go to. Everything else we can talk about. So here's my blank whiteboard. You tell me what we can change today in the Colony Fire Department that's going to get you to buy in 50% more than you are today. How can, I, how can I make this a little better? Well, they say, oh, everything's great, Chief. Well, that's not an organizational problem now. That's a personal problem. Now you've got somebody who has no courage, they have no backbone, and, and they, don't, they, they, just, they can't look another adult in the face and say, yeah, here's my problems. Let's talk about them. And we may not agree on everything, but at least we know there's some problems. Right. But, but most of the guys now that are struggling, the ones that just, you know, they're more interested in just going in and, and griping about things because that's where they get the greatest amount of attention. And But we're getting now, I think some of our guys are getting tired of it and they're shutting it down in the firehouse. So that number's coming down a little bit. But, you know, you can only do so much, and I call it friction and company contribution. The reason why I want to minimize the friction in our firehouse is because those people will contribute greater to the fire company, the small team. They will become more functional. It's not okay. for me. It's so that we can come together as an organization with one mission, commit to those standards. Don't commit to the fire chief. Commit to the standards. I'll, I'll give you the things you need, and we can be the best version of ourselves when we're on duty. That's all. Nothing more, nothing less. I love it, man. I love it. <laughs> the uh, crew first culture said, thank you for, well, it went away. He said, Thank you for expressing how important it is to take care of your department members first. We need more chief officers who believe in that. <laughs> and I, I can't, well, I can, I have to completely agree because it's, uh, it's, it can be very fun. I know I, I'm blessed to come from a great department with a great administration. So, and I know I your chief, and he seems like a great guy. Yes, and uh, so I don't want to ever come across like that's what. I'm, but I do talk to a lot of guys from, and I know you have 190 different uh, Boomberg size departments, I believe. <laughs> so uh, um, I want uh, so many – I, I, I got to focus. Engine and truck deployment I'll model. Take what your is, timing. Yeah. What is your um, typical house fire, Fox Box, what is your deployment mm -hmm. model? Kind of run through it if you don't mind. Okay. Well, we have to rely some on mutual aid, but since we just opened this 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 first uh, – um, this fourth station. Now, this is across the board. They're, they're – they're, this is going to happen unless somebody gets on the radio and says, I'm calling an audible. Okay. We're going to dispatch four engines, a truck, 
which is a five-person truck, so it'll respond as a tower ladder with a rescue attached to it, a battalion chief and an ambulance. So that, that's our standard for a one-alarm structure fire in a residential structure. So the first engine on, and we use this terminology, their job is to address fire attack. Now, the company decides how to do that, if it's going to take an inch and three-quarter, a water can, a two-and-a-half, a deck gun. But their job is to address fire attack. The second engine on, their job is what we call the fire attack support team. Their whole job is to see to the success of the first engine company. They establish a water supply, and then that officer addresses, does that company have to be on that line with the first crew to help them advance it? Do they protect the stairs? Do they pull a backup line? a secondary line, an exposure line, or a block line. That's what they got to consider. The third engine on uh, becomes our initial rapid inter or our rapid intervention team. The, the second engine functions at the initial rapid intervention. Third engine's a rapid intervention team. Now, the fourth engine we got coming mutual aid because we just went through our, our three engines. One of our engines is a squad. They can do engine or truck work. Um, and then the fourth engine on is our tactical reserve. If the tactical reserve is assigned, before we go under control, that's the standard for calling a second alarm. So if we haven't gone under control, the tactical reserve is assigned, we go to a second alarm. Okay, the truck gets on scene, five-person truck. The driver of the truck and the firefighter of the truck are the outside truck, and they address all things outside, forcible entry, ventilation, whatever. Whatever the outside, you know, are they going to put the tower ladder in service? Almost an OVM team? No, I've got I've got an OC, an outside control. Okay, That's okay. not them. They're okay. just called the outside truck. Um, now, the captain of the truck is, is we used to call him the outside vent, the OV. We now call him the outside control okay. because sometimes it's more about closing the building. So he or she is part of that outside team, but they work independently. So the outside control's job is to get opposite a fire attack. Wherever fire attack is going in, the OC is on the other side. And his or her job is it's the eyes and ears of the incident commander to initiate vent enter search because it's our truck captain, it's our most experienced truck guy. And then what we say to soften the back in case the in interior crews have to come out the back and address utilities. Okay. The uh the other two members of the truck, which is made up of a driver and a firefighter on the rescue, they're the inside truck. So they do search, overhaul, salvage. So that's what happens on every fire. The battalion chief comes in, takes command. Our medical is there uh, to address, um, you know, any we injuries have yes. any uh, of that stuff. So you you say your truck is a truck and a rescue? Is it two separate? Well, yeah, the only way I could get my five-person truck company was to go to my boss and say, listen, if we put them in a separate vehicle, we're going gotcha. to save wear and tear on the tower ladder, and they can be another response vehicle. So on any given day, I have an officer assigned to the truck and two drivers. One's driving the tower ladder, and one is the officer on the rescue, Okay. and then okay. two firefighters. Very nice, very nice. Awesome, man. I could talk about that stuff, too, all day. Um yeah. <laughs> and then when we when the word when the word working fire when, when that when the the first on says 
we have a working fire in such and such, then that triggers a few more things. We get another medic to the scene, air and light come, and then from there it's just a matter of going to the next alarm. Nice. Uh, fire medic Barlow says, I am just starting to mentor the new recruits. What is the single most important thing to remember when making the transition to that mentor, and how do I make myself a solid mentor? Wow. Okay. That's a, that's a great, great question. You know, I'm a huge fan of mentoring. I think it's the future of fire service leadership and learning. The first thing I'm going to say is knowledge, man. Uh, you know, you can only do so much to gain experience going to training, going to fires. Um, but, but having that, that solid base of experience and knowledge and make sure it's the right knowledge, uh, knowledge about the job, you know, how to force a door, how to pull a line, but also knowledge about the organization, what, what the, the learner, I hate, I, I call them mentors and learners. I hate the word mentee, but okay. coach coaching. Coaching is about the here and now. You're doing this right. You're doing it wrong, providing immediate feedback. And that's a component of mentoring. But mentoring is really about positioning people for future success. So you got to understand the job. you got to understand the organization. And you got to understand people. Uh, so, so knowledge base, insight, understanding, knowing the why is the most important. The second most important thing uh, it's kind of twofold. It's a commitment to learning about the person that you're mentoring, nice. what motivates them, what their goals are, uh, so forth, and then being committed to their success, being patient. Everybody learns a little differently. They're not going to learn as fast. What you don't want is the mentor getting frustrating and giving up. So, so know the job so you have the tools to provide information both immediately and long-term, and then make the commitment to that individual um, to say, I'm going to be committed to your learning. Uh, I'm going to be committed to your success. I'm going to be patient, and we're going to do this together. And, and to me, that's, that's what mentoring is, is you can't make it about you. You're not there to tell them how great you are and all the great. Now, there's value in stories, and, and share your stories, and that's part of it. But it should always end up. This is how this. This is how my story, my experiences, should help you uh, in life and in this job. Wow. Competence and learning, and then committed and have that relationship built with them. The patience to stick it through. That's awesome, Chief. Uh, you know, and if you just remember competence and commitment when it comes to mentoring, you're you're going to be uh, you're going to be be okay, and and hopefully. You've got good character. We're going to assume that you're basically a good person, um, you know, that, that you're not the person that's going out there and say, hey, this captain's a jackass, you know. And right. You've got, to, you've got to be an advocate for the process. You've got to believe, and you've got to want to make people um, want to learn, want to be successful, uh, figure out what motivates them. And, and man, I, I just – a good modern mentoring program – solves a million problems and it also expedites the chosen culture because now you have advocates for the process and they understand what the chosen culture looks like and they go out and they can they can be the person who who helps people transition into this culture wow oh that's oh that's powerful um <laughs> I love it. Uh, and that's the thing man it's like I, 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 
it's like when you have a mentoring program but no deliberate culture, it's just kind of wandering out there like no standards. Uh, it's well, there's two reasons. There's two reasons why why uh, formal mentoring programs fail. Number one, the chief doesn't support it, so it's the kind of the program of the week. And you know, the firehouse can be an ugly place. So now this this young firefighter wants to be a mentor, and they have a learner there. And the whole company's like, yeah, we ain't doing that. You're not throwing ladders today. You're not pulling hose. You know, that's only going to happen so many times where everybody's going to check out. So it's got to come from the chief. The chief has got to say, this is important. We're going to do this the right way and stay committed to that. That's the number one reason why they fail. The second reason is the mentor doesn't have the tools, enough institutional knowledge to be able to guide that person day by day or week by week. You remember I said it's about positioning for future success. So the mentor's got to know what now success looks like and what future success looks like. And if you don't know those things, then you're just having conversations every day, which there's value in that. I, uh, the, uh, and I don't, there was a part where you talked about the, the strong company officer can make a microculture kind of appear uh, spin up, even though the the deliberate culture isn't there, and th- you have those pockets inside organizations. I love that part because I've seen that in my own career happen, and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I want to get to before we run out of time. Uh, the I always go over a book that firefighters should read when we have the scrap, and I always give the guests a chance to suggest a book that's had an impact on their life that they think firefighters should read. So, go for it, Chief. Which book would you suggest to people, or books for that? Uh, Probably this one, uh, Going Pro by Tony Kearns. This was given to me by Gordon Graham, and it's a very good one. Um, another one, and I know uh, Brian Brush and I agree on this one, it's Deep Survival by Lawrence Gonzalez, Who Lives and Who Dies and Why. Right. So if you're you're a firefighter and you're wanting uh, uh, just some round stuff, Going Pro, Deep Survival. Now, if you're into cultural stuff and you want to learn that, this is leading by cultural intelligence, and and there's some very good culture books out there, and there's some really crappy ones. This okay. one is by uh, Livermore, David Livermore. This is is uh, a good one uh, to to kind of to kind of get your feet wet about cultural things and leadership. And then I'm going to show you one more now. If you really want to get in deep uh, to positioning people for success and survival. Here is the laws of human nature. Um, this is this is really good. This is kind of like one of my leadership uh, Bibles. This is probably one of the best books, and this is by Robert Greene, probably, probably one of the best. It's the 48 Laws of Power. This has probably helped me understand people more. It, it goes way beyond the obvious. I mean, you can pick up a bunch of books this big that's going to give you a basic definition of leadership, it's going to list off 97 traits and, and all the things that we hear all the time. But this really gets into um, – and then anything about the science of performance. Um, okay. Not, not, not just neat tales. Of, of, there's some value to that. You know, sure. Great stuff by Navy SEAL and all those things, but there's a huge science involved in performance. And so when we talk about standards – and standards are based on performance. If we understand the science of how people learn to perform, uh, that's going to help us as mentors and leaders 
help them be successful in meeting those standards. Awesome. Dude, I, and I got a stack of books that I'm behind in my reading because every time I do one of these, I get someone suggests a great oh, book. I'm so far behind. And then you say – I'm the same way. I got to get the laws of human nature. I have deep survival and going pro, and I got the going. The problem pro is, look at how that, that's a I, thick. I saw that. I was like, oh no. So, so, but, um, no, uh, yeah, going and pro. And this you, one, you can see mine's like yours. You can see all the uh, the yes. tabs there. I don't know all the <laughs> anyway. So yeah, those are just. My, and I, I mean, I could give you a bunch more, but to get started, you know, those those are kind of good. Deep survival's a great one, like I say, by Lawrence Gonzalez. I go back to that one a bunch. Um, and and I think uh, just to and I know we're on time, no, but I good. think also anything that you can read about mental imagery and mental mapping in a performance profession. So mental imagery is is how uh, as mentors, as senior members, leaders, it's the images that we create in those that we influence his head. Okay, so that's got to be accurate, right? The standard we got to. We got to create a, an image, and then mental mapping. This is real important for senior men and women and leaders. Is that's how you connect the dots and and make the information, the knowledge, usable. And it, it, it's huge for tactical leadership, helping us be high performers in chaotic, crazy environment that we work in. So so anything about those is is valuable reading. Mental imagery, mental mapping. Okay. And there's some other words for that. Uh, you know, that they, they kind of play with, with sure. those words. You know, everybody coins a new term. But but that's what I would recommend um, reading. Why? But read. Even if you're reading, just a, read. You've you got to be a reader. Um, one one more thing that I fear. Can I can I throw go, in one more go, thing? Go, Chief. This is the next problem that the fire service is going to have to deal with, and I'm seeing signs all the time. Right now, if you're a motivated firefighter, there's a ton of good books to read. There's great podcasts all the time, depending on what you think. But you can go just about any weekend to some part of this country and be influenced both from a knowledge standpoint and a skill standpoint by the best in the business, and usually in small groups and, and get a lot of sets and reps. So, so you have a generation that could take advantage of that. Now, if those people come back to their firehouse and in their, their, their fire company, if the senior man or woman in the company officer reject that information, hey, we don't do it like that, I don't want to hear about it, blah, 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 that's where the problem, the friction starts. And I see the day pretty soon where the senior man and woman in the company officer they may be the most experienced in the company, but they're the dumbest when it comes to modern knowledge and skills. And when that happens in the firehouse, now you have separation. There's going to be resentment. Uh, and, 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 and the other members that are watching, they're going to see this. And I won't call them a young firefighter. They're going to see this motivated firefighter who, who just learned forcible entry from Sammy Hiddle. And they're going, hey, this guy knows what he's doing. So they're going to start watching, and, and there's going to be a natural attraction because people want to surround themselves with, with people that are, are being successful. And the part of the company that doesn't follow, man, uh, then, then the senior man or woman in the company officers lost the firehouse. Oh, and, yeah. and we're going to see, because there's so many opportunities now, uh, not only to gain knowledge but to really gain skill proficiency, 
And uh, if the company officer doesn't welcome that and say, hey, listen, I can't go to all these conferences or choose not to, but you teach me, help me learn what you now know. If they don't do that, that's going to be a huge problem for fire chiefs, battalion chiefs uh, to manage. And it's coming. Um, So your answer to that, of course, is you you come from the top down with the whole embracing of that, basically, and try try to infect your company officers and your senior men with that mentality? And also, and, and I go to, I stopped going to fire chief conferences several years ago, and all I do are go to firefighter conferences now because nice. I want to see how my firefighters are being influenced. And, and I feel I've got to understand things, not at the technique level, not at the task level, but certainly at the tactics level and, and talk to talk. And, and so we make it very clear, our culture is a chosen learning culture. So our culture values learning and quality daily training as one of the top things and that's why we've had that's why we've had success and and our we truly have an organization now where the organization has embraced training and learning and they just do it on their own and so uh hopefully we've gotten ahead of that it ties right into your saying and you're just a firefighter who has fire chief responsibilities yeah so you walk in walking the walk not just talking the talk uh, well, I'm trying. I get it wrong a lot of times, but there's so many easy things that I can do to support my guys. Uh, that's one of them. You know, listening is one of them, reading, understanding, and, and just not, you know, uh, just not making this any harder than it has to be. That is awesome. Chief, uh, I hope uh, – I've had a blast, first of all. I got about – So did I. 10% of my questions, and I forgot most of them. It went by but... fast. No doubt. Uh, I hope you will come back and speak again sometime in the future. Uh, I I had a blast. Thank you for coming on. As always, it's a pleasure talking to you. Um, Everybody that came in and and watched, I hope you enjoy. If you have questions, put them in the comments, and and we and Chief Thompson will get to them. And uh, other than that, I hope the tone stays silent for everybody. Unless it's burning, stay safe out there. (laughs) Thank you, Chief. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.